in our series. I've got a couple um, excerpts, examples that we need to share so that you and I can get in the mindset of discipleship today. The first is a, a, an excerpt from a book called Radical. Hmm, that should clue you in. Radical by David Platt. He's a, a big time uh, preacher. I think he's in Birmingham, Alabama right now. If you have not read the book Radical, check it out. In the 1940s, the United States government commissioned William Francis Gibbs to work with United States lines to construct an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during times of war. By 1952, construction on the SS United States was complete. The ship could travel at 44 knots, about 51 miles an hour, and she could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and travel nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The SS United States was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. The only catch is she never carried troops, at least not in an official capacity. The ship was put on standby once during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62, but otherwise she was never used in all her capacity by the U.S. Navy. Instead, the, US United, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of states, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 17 years of service. As a luxury liner, she couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, she could house just under 2,000 passengers. Those passengers could enjoy the luxury of 695 staterooms, dining salons, bars, theaters, acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of a vessel used for battle during wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who decided to coast peacefully along the Atlantic. Things look radically different on a luxury liner than they do on a troop carrier. The faces of soldiers preparing for battle and those of patrons enjoying their bonbons are radically different. The conservation of resources on a troop carrier contrasts sharply with the opulence that characterizes the luxury liner. And the pace at which the troop carrier moves is by necessity much faster than that of a luxury liner. After all, the troop carrier has an urgent task to accomplish. The luxury liner, on the other hand, is free to casually enjoy the trip. When I think about the history of the SS United States, I wonder if she has something to teach us about the history of the church. The church, like the SS United States, has been designed for battle. The purpose of the church is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. Yet we seem to have turned the church as troop carrier into the church as luxury liner. We seem to have organized ourselves not to engage in battle for the souls of peoples around the world, but to indulge ourselves in the peaceful comforts of the world. This makes me wonder what would happen if we would look squarely in the face of a world with 4.5 billion people going to hell 
and 26,000 children dying every day of starvation and preventable diseases. And we decided it was time to move this ship into battle instead of sitting back on the pool deck while we wait for the staff to serve us more orders. Are we willing to obey the orders of Christ? Are we willing to be like Him? Are we willing to risk our lives to go to great need and to great danger? Whether it's in the inner cities around us, the difficult neighbor across the street, the disease-ridden communities in Africa, or the hostile regions in the Middle East. Are we willing to fundamentally alter our understanding of Christianity from a luxury liner approach that seeks more comforts in the world to a true carrier approach that forsakes comforts in the world to accomplish an eternally significant task and achieve an eternally satisfying reward. True carrier versus luxury liner. You know, as followers of Christ, we are called to love as he loved. What does love look like? Jesus gives us the formula. Turn to Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, and don't zone out because you're used to hearing this. But boy, we're going to dig deep today. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, so discipleship. You may want to take some notes. There's a lot of stuff coming your way. Discipleship. It means to be a learner. And I want you to know that it comes in two ways. For those who are mature in the faith, they are going to disciple us. We must learn the ways of Jesus Christ so that we can then live the ways of Jesus Christ. So it comes from those who have have a more mature, strong, um, wise counsel of faith. And then we also are to disciple others. We are to learn and live the teachings of Jesus. We are called to be students of humility. Students of humility. First thing Jesus said was to deny myself. Now I may address these scriptures, but you'll want to write them down because God's going to use them in your life and speak to you personally. Number one, deny myself. Now that means, it does not mean denying our individual uniqueness, our gifts and talents that God strictly gave to us. But rather, it means denying the old self, the sinful, rebellious, the I'll do it myself, I can handle this, it's all about me, self. Denying self means maintaining a sincere, genuine conviction that on our own, we have nothing to offer. But denying our own strength and ability and submitting to God's will and authority for our lives, we have everything to offer. That's what Paul meant when he said, in Christ, I can do all things. It doesn't mean that that you and I are superhuman, 
superheroes. It means that when we put Jesus Christ as first in our lives, when we empty ourselves and humble ourselves, surrendering fully to Him, whatever He asks us to do, most often far out of our comfort zone, we will be able to do it through Christ Jesus in and through us. In Romans 7, Paul talks about, um, he says it this way, I, I want to do good, and the harder I try, the worse it gets, so to speak. He said, I want to do good, but I can't carry it out on my own. And you see, that's what we struggle with on a daily basis, because we are created, we, we were born into sin, we have a sinful nature, but I call my old self. The former things, the past, and that's a part of who we are, we are sinful broken people. We make mistakes all the time, but we have to choose to live out of our spirit nature. And in, in this passage in Romans, Paul talks about God's law. That is the law of love that comes through us through our identity in Christ Jesus. That is Christ righteousness. It means that the blood was shed on our behalf and it has nothing to do with what we have to earn. It's all about claiming who are claiming the blood of Jesus over our life and choosing to live out of righteousness and holiness. I believe that it is only through Christ that we can truly live as his disciples. Because when we are choosing not just to be a believer, not just this head knowledge, but when we let that head knowledge travel to our heart and then our hands and feet are serving the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do incredible things because it's not about us. Are you hearing me? Whew. So denying self is complete surrender. Denying self means that I'm going to say it is not my will, but yours, O Lord. It is obedience and it is humility. And I just have to stop here and let you know that years ago, I thought surrender implied the weakest, wimpiest woman I could ever be. Because I felt that that, that word surrender me, I've given up, I'm no good, I'm, I'm a wimp. But when I truly focus on my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is freedom, there is strength, there is courage, there is peace. And it is the fullness of joy. Joy in the midst of all of the, and I'm going to say it, the crap and chaos around us. All of the distractions and all of that other stuff that we are put up, we have to put up with. And we have a choice. And as disciples of Christ, God is calling us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And not be, be focused and distracted and, and turning our way into the, uh, giving chaos more um, more attention than it deserves. Obedience. Humility. Personally, I am in a place where God is calling me to surrender more than I have ever surrendered before. God is, is speaking to me in my spirit and saying things for me to do that, quite frankly, I don't want to do. But I, not too long ago, yet again said, okay, I know, God, that there are places of my heart that, that I'm keeping for myself, and I don't want that. So I give you all of me. And you see, when, when I said that, 
I experienced freedom. I experienced peace. And I am experiencing joy. The good news is I don't have to have it all figured out. I wait until I hear through the power of the Holy Spirit when to move or when to speak, when to stay put. There is freedom in obedience. There is freedom in surrender and humility. Ephesians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5, in both of those passages, Paul tells us to put on the new self. We are created to be like God. We were created in the image of God. And we are created to live a life of true righteousness and holiness. We were created that way, but it is a choice. What kind of choice are you making? We are new creations in Jesus Christ. The old has passed away. Forget the former things. Forget that sinful life. Forget it. God has erased it through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you in this place today are hanging on to the shame and the guilt from years ago. And it gets so burdensome sometimes that you can't even move. And God wants you to function. God wants to live wants you to live in the fullness of joy. There was a 19th century Bible teacher, his name was Arthur Pink, and he said it this way, growth in grace is growth downward. Now, modern day theologian that I like to read and study, Richard Rohr says, we're falling upward. We're growing downward. Falling upward. Do you hear the utter humility in that? The utter surrendering, emptying of self? Growth in grace is growth downward. It's the forming of a lower opinion of ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean low self-esteem and and being uh, uh, no self-worth. It means putting ourselves where we belong with Jesus as priority. Do you understand that? So don't go to that place that Satan wants you to go of, oh, I'm supposed to be a doormat, let everybody walk on me, I'm a wimp, I'm I'm not worthy. Don't go there. Growth in grace is a deepening realization of our nothingness on our own. A heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. We say it. Mercy. Mercy is that God is not giving us what we deserve. We are sinful people. We are wayward people. We make choices that dishonor God. And His mercy is continually lavished upon us. He's not giving us what we deserve. He's pouring on His love. He's pouring on the forgiveness. He's pouring on the reconciliation. He gave His Son, Jesus. His blood was shed. And you know, I can go into that whole thing again. The crucifixion was ugly. It was messy. It was a horrible death. And Jesus did not have to do it. But He chose to for you and for me. We're nothing. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But when we empty ourselves and when we put ourselves where we need to be, 
humbly worshiping, obeying, surrendering to our Lord and Savior, oh my gosh, then we are really something. All right, second one. Jesus said, take up your cross. In a couple other Gospels, I think it's especially in the Gospel of Luke, Luke adds, take up your cross daily. Most people think that this means a, a burden that they just have to carry. It is what it is. Maybe a thankless job, or uh, maybe you've got a spouse who is not um, saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, I don't know, I just came up with this. Maybe you've got a controlling mother-in-law, or maybe you've got a physical illness, or a disease, or a mental illness, or some kind of disability. Maybe you're just living in the throes of a difficult family situation. Don't go to the place where you say, well, that's just the cross I have to bear. That's not what scripture means. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, take up your cross, he means die to yourself. Die to your agenda. Die to your will. Die to your ideas. Submit to me. Submit to my authority, my will, my direction for your life. Take up your cross means being willing to pay the price, whatever that is, for Christ's sake. Being willing to pay the price for Christ's sake. Think about this. The picture of first century, Jesus was on the road to Golgotha. He was carrying his cross. Any criminal heading to crucifixion at that time was carrying their own cross. And that was a symbol to everybody. It was a symbol of death. When they saw Jesus, when they saw those people carrying their own cross, it was a symbol of death. We're called to die to ourselves. Are you, am I, willing to be in His service? Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to suffer humiliation or isolation or indignities or pain? Are we willing die. You see, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not hide the cost of discipleship. He paid it all. Not only did He not hide, but He didn't hide from the cost of discipleship. You remember when He was pleading with His Heavenly Father in the garden, please God, if you could just, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. If at all possible, take this cup from me. But not my will. But thine be done. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was teaching about discipleship. And he was basically telling people, don't wait until it's convenient to be a disciple. Don't wait until your life circumstances are all settled down and in order. Don't wait until things are perfect because obviously it's not going to happen. Jesus was telling his people, follow me, be a disciple now. And in 1 Peter 4, that passage talks about the suffering and the trials that we have in our life. 
we are going to have troubles. That's a given in this worldly life. But let me posit this to you. Our true commitment to Jesus Christ comes during our trials. Our true commitment to Jesus Christ comes during our trials. We're not supposed to be fair weather fans of Jesus Christ. We are called to be his disciples. We are called to be his followers. There's a difference. We can be a believer with our head and not do anything else. But if we choose to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, then it takes it to a whole other level. Let me ask you this. Because this is... Tony Campola and a lot of other theologians have, have asked these kinds of questions, so I kind of just threw some together from a lot of different sources. Think about this. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means being completely alienated from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus and lose your job because of it? Are you willing to follow Jesus and lose your life? I put a note here. Hashtag first world problems. Because there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world right now who without hesitation are saying, absolutely, take my life. But I want you to know that I am a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know that passage, Philippians 2, Jesus completely emptied himself. He made himself nothing, Scripture says. He took on servant nature. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I feel it. The energy is changing because we're being called to be disciples. We're being called to give God our whole heart, not just certain rooms of it. We are being called to complete and utter surrender. Number three, finally Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. In Mark, he talks about whoever wants to be great among you needs to become a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you needs to be like a slave. So let's think about this. Jesus was a servant leader. He went to the people. Flashback to luxury liner. When we are in luxury liner mood, mode, we say, come on, we got a good church here. We got a cool worship service here. Come on. If we choose to be a battleship, we are going to the people. Our lives are going to be lived differently, just like Renee Brown said. It's going to get dirty, and it's going to get messy. But oh, is it going to be the fullness of 
joy. Jesus taught and he led by example. We are called, I mean, we've got to go deeper, my friends. We've got to go deeper. I've been listening on repeat to a song by Bethel Music. It's, it's called Have It All. And as Jesus followers, this is what we're called to do. It says, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. There's no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it all down. And it talks about, breathe into my heart. Because now you have all of my heart. Some of you are hearing from God, you're feeling this dis-ease and you're feeling this sense of being uncomfortable because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is convicting you of which pieces of your heart you're still holding on to. I get it a lot. God's convicting me of a lot. So please hear me say I am right here with you this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 in the message says this, we carry this present precious message of the cross around in the clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's when the true discipleship comes in. When we are choosing to live our lives in such a way that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus means choosing what's right over choosing what's easy. Did you hear us say that? Choosing what's right over choosing what's easy. Jesus is love made flesh. Loving, following his example, will get messy. It is not our default. Our default is, like Brene Brown said, you know, unicorns and fluffy stuffed animals and woo-woo. And often, if we're going to love like Jesus loved, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And it has nothing to do with unicorns. <laughs> Following Jesus, true discipleship means to carry the cross everywhere we go. And it means we're going to act and live our lives differently. At school, at the office, here at church, um, in the grocery store, on the soccer field, on the football field. It's going to make a difference in how we live our lives. And if and when we follow the example of Christ, I guarantee that we will experience the hope and the love and the forgiveness, the redemption, the freedom, the peace, and the joy of the cross. That's what God wants for us. He's making streams in the desert. His living water is available to you and to me. So, as the band gets ready, let me, let me ask you some questions. I firmly believe that God doesn't want us to leave here the same we came. So, I need to ask you, what is God bringing to your attention that needs to be surrendered to Him? Where are you choosing to do your own thing and God says, please follow me? 
What part of your life do you want to just maintain control of as if God doesn't have a clue what you're doing? Where does God say, if you just would lay it down, it would be so much easier? Where is God calling you to receive His love and His forgiveness and His healing? Where is God calling you to receive full deliverance? You don't have to act out of that shame and that fear and that guilt anymore. Now, I'm one that believes that every sermon needs a response. How you respond is between you and God. But don't just sit there. In the name of Christ, I pray.